Welcome to another episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. My name is Hisha Mazuz, and this is a show where I sit down with high-achieving and inspirational recruitment professionals across the globe. It's my job to deconstruct how they have accelerated their recruitment career and remained at the top of their game by uncovering their daily habits, mindset, approach to leadership, and much much more. Now, before we get into this episode, I want to say thank you. Thank you for all the support all of you have shown either through Apple Podcast reviews on LinkedIn. It it really means a lot. The more people that see and hear about this podcast simply means the more recruiters and future recruiters, it will help. I wanted to say a special thank you to Righty101, who left a amazing Apple podcast review from Australia. He said, very entertaining, easy to follow and listen, and more importantly, no egos. A really easy, uh, really easy to follow and listen to the podcast as a recruiter with over seven years experience across both Sydney and the UK. I think it's a great tool to continue to learn, but to also listen to others' experiences and journeys along the way. I found myself smiling, laughing, nodding and agreeing to it as if I was almost in the room having a conversation with them. He should ask brilliant questions. Definitely worth a listen. Thank you. Righty, thank you so much. Really appreciate the support. And as all of you know, the more Apple podcast reviews we get, simply that means that the more people are going to see and listen to this podcast. So I really appreciate any of the support. Now, I'm very confident Confident most weeks, but very confident that you are going to enjoy this week's episode. And here's what's in store. It's about empathy and about totally being able to understand how somebody else feels, whether that's a a candidate, a client, you know, anybody. I think that is number one priority. Great recruiters can do that. In my mind, the best people that I've worked with have got a really high emotional intelligence. But yeah, so so March kind of changed everything, and um, yeah, I suppose the the rest is history on that. And I think within hospitality, it's you know you, you, obviously you've got to have a certain amount of fight, and our fight was directed into helping the sector because we couldn't really help ourselves. You know, whatever anybody is listening to this and may think, if the, if everybody's letting people go, everybody, the good, the bad, you know, everyone. Um, the opportunity for recruiters is isn't exist you know doesn't exist really it's not as if you know you, you sell harder and, and you find those opportunities there wasn't any opportunity that it, it was completely hibernated this podcast has evolved and is now called recruitment mentors this is due to the new business i'm launching called recruitment mentors why am i launching this business this has come from the complete belief that if you have the inner ambition and drive to become the best recruiter you can be, then you shouldn't be limited or prevented by barriers that sit outside of your control. If that's working for an organization that simply doesn't make enough money to invest in learning development, if that's working for a manager who you learn most from, but you're limited by the time that they can give you, For no fault of your own, you might end up in an environment in a recruitment agency that has no appetite to invest in learning and development. This community is built to help you accelerate your recruitment career without limits. This place is not about egos. This community is about giving you access to some of the best recruitment professionals outside of your four walls that you can learn from. Whilst connecting you with like-minded recruitment consultants, focused on growth if you want to be part of this community and progress your career without limits then make sure you sign yourself up to our waiting list and to be informed of our soft launch in december you can find the link to the waiting list in the episode show notes i'd love to see you there come join us and be part of the first dedicated community for recruitment professionals focused on growth that's enough from me now back to the podcast. 
Welcome to the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Abby Dunn, who is the founder of 68 People, or also known as the Hospitality Crusader. Abby has worked in recruitment and specifically within the hospitality sector for over 20 years. Uh, and for the last two years, Abby has been growing her own recruitment business that supports hospitality businesses um, across the north. Abby, thank you for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> um, excited to unpack what it's been like for a uh, recruitment business owner that serves the hospitality sector. <laughs> mm, <laughs> to say that it's yeah. interesting to hear how this has been. <laughs> but um, where I want to start is, in your opinion, what characteristics and traits do you think make up a highly successful recruitment consultant? Um, uh, well, I definitely think I've seen people with different traits be successful in different ways. I think for me personally, um, it, it's about empathy and about totally being able to understand how somebody else feels, whether that's a, a candidate, a client, you know, anybody. I think that is number one priority. Great recruiters can do that. Um you know, and I, and I think maybe more importantly, what, what I, I think is is not a great recruiter and that's somebody who's purely driven by, you know, a placement or purely driven by a fee. And I know that's probably anti-recruiter, isn't it? But I think this is, in my mind, the best people that I've worked with have got a really high emotional intelligence and understand, uh, you know, that kind of care and compassionate side about, you know, looking after them. This is about changing someone's life, finding someone a a dream job, um, you know, solving one of the greatest problems your, your client might have. So I think it's somebody who sees it like that as opposed to a, a, a you know, a piece of data. Um, I th you know, generally talking about intelligence, I think like memory plays a massive role, doesn't it? We don't, we don't talk about it too much, but if you can remember people, I know we've all got these flashy databases, but having a great memory is like, Right, genius. Definitely helps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's that's when I see the difference between kind of you know good recruiters and great recruiters that you can just pull from the back. Oh God, I remember them. You know, I remember them from years ago. And it also links into empathy because if you remember somebody from years ago, you know, you can make them feel good about you know getting getting in touch. Going, oh, do you remember when we spoke? And they feel great, and you know, it all kind of connects together. Um, but yeah, empathy for me is is, is massively up there. Interesting. Do you think it can be just what you're talking about in terms of having an impact, helping change people's lives? Do you think it can be you can like recruiters can be just be driven by that at the beginning of their career? Because I think it, it does evolve, doesn't it? Like and I think a lot of businesses, if I went into a recruitment interview for a recruitment job and I just led with yeah, it's change yeah. people's lives. Yeah. 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 Yeah, of course. You've got to be um you've got to understand your numbers. Don't get me wrong, you know, I've worked with businesses where numbers come first. And there's a there's a part to play, isn't there? You you have to understand where you are so that you could improve. You know, there's no getting away from that. You have to measure everything that you do, whether you measure the you know, the, the softer stuff on the experience side and the quality of of what you're doing, or whether you're you know just measuring revenue. But um you know, so you have you have to be driven and motivated by a target completely. But I think, you know, recruiters are a product of how they're being managed. And if you're purely managed by that number, you will behave like that and you'll behave. And that's what's potentially given recruitment some of the bad, you know, kind of reputation that it has, that that, that historically people were driven by targets and, and revenue and, um, you know, at the cost of everything else, really. Uh, but of course there has to be a combination you know you can't we can't just be you know nice lovely airy fairy people skipping around finding <laughs> people jobs you know we've got to you, you know you've got to you've got to improve and and you've got to measure everything that you do so that you can improve um you know I'm a massive believer of that and that's my entire career I was, I was lucky enough to to learn that pretty early on that there's you know what's the point in having any kind of uh, something to, to work towards unless you can measure its success um, and I think potentially it's where a lot of companies maybe outside of recruitment um, you know don't do as well as they could do because they put in these great initiatives but there's no measurements for success in there um, 
I also think they can't only be monetary measurements. You know, you've got to have other, other measurements within there as well. But yeah, interesting. Yeah. So you, so from what what I can see, so you've actually you actually worked in the hospitality industry before you entered recruitment into hospitality. Yeah, right, and I do consider myself probably more a hospitality person than than I do a, a recruiter. I, you know, I have to say, I, I started collecting glasses as, as a student. Um, probably slightly re- reluctantly and um and, and and grew with the business from there and by the time I'd graduated um ran uh, a, a site on uh, revolution actually on, on Oxford Road um and when I look back now I think god I was kind of 21 and they were putting me in charge of this you know kind of million pound turnover business uh you know that's that was um when I look back now I think crikey I remember taking on, like, for example, taking on my team to Amsterdam, which was very unwise. Um, and <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, so I'd been a hospitality person kind of through and through, and it got to a point where I didn't want to work weekends anymore. I travelled around the country with with Inventive Leisure, and um, yeah, almost got fired really for not wanting to work weekends anymore because that's a prerequisite for for running bars. And um, and and luckily, my HR director said, "Well." you know if you go off and and get some recruitment experience you know we might be in a position where you can come back and and recruit for us internally so I did that I I left and worked for an agency in Leeds called SVB I had a a wonderful kind of 18 months with those guys and then um went back into Revolution as their in-house recruiter so and and I suppose that makes um you know what I you know, I think it's helped me so much to have that in-house role. You know, I've, I've seen both sides of it and I've seen how, you know, the, the, the budget constraints of clients, I've seen how recruiters kind of can, can approach you and treat you and what I didn't like and what I did like. And that, you know, has led to me creating ultimately what, you know, the business that I want to have now. Mm, yeah, that, that's an amazing experience to pick up and gather all that context so you can really view what you do and offer from the client's perspective because you've been in their shoes right so that, that's yeah. that's amazing I guess what what are the most common misconceptions about working in hospitality out of interest if you've been there because for me it's like I don't know I, I one I respect anyone that does because as you said it's it's weekends it's it's really tough work mm-hmm. um long hours unsociable hours um yeah. I don't know what what are the common misconceptions about working in hospitality well, I think I think even when I was, you know, kind of a general manager of these multi-million pound businesses, you know, I still had, potential, you know, my family kind of, you know, when you, is this a real job? I'm like, yeah, it's a real job. <laughs> um, you know, you are, you're an accountant, you're a marketeer, you know, you're a business manager, you're a people manager, you're a leader. Uh, you know, there's huge skill involved in, in, in managing any hospitality business. But I think there's a preconception that, you don't necessarily need a qualification, but I think that's a positive thing. You know, there is a direct route from bartender to board level without any qualification. And, um, you know, that's pretty incredible. And I think the people within hospitality, um, you know, are they, they are kind of so resilient. They're, there's a lot of fun in hospitality, a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, you know, historically, I think people who do come out of hospitality and potentially try other sectors, it's a challenge because you're used to dealing with these really kind of high energy, very positive uh, and actually very clever people. When I became a training and development manager for Revolution and we did quite an interesting exercise with some psychometric profiles um, and um, my my boss probably still remembers this because it cost him a lot of money, but I, I persuaded him to kind of get all our general managers uh, psychometrically profiled and presuming that we'd find a behavioral pattern between managers um, we were looking for you know with presuming it would be this kind of influence or dominance whatever it might be that we were looking for and we thought we'd find compliance um, anyway we didn't find any behavioral pattern between any general manager it was all over the place um, but then we tested mental horsepower um, and, and actually then what we found was there's a real key correlation between high performing managers and mental horsepower so there was where people were doing really well they were kind of 75th plus percentile in these mental horsepower tests so so 
I suppose my point is we, we, we proved that it wasn't necessarily about behaviour. It was it was kind of ultimately intelligence that was, and it sounds quite obvious, but you know, the, the, and there were so many people within our businesses that were, you know, they maybe dropped out of degrees or, um, you know, well, that, I think that's a big part in hospitality. You kind of get into it and then you drop out of your, you know, chosen degree because you find this great, amazing job with amazing team and you know you're up all night working and partying afterwards and then you know you kind of degree goes by the wayside but um but I've certainly met the best people and and the most kind of intelligent people in in hospitality for sure Mm. interesting now that that's sort of what came up for me I think probably there's a perception that it's easy to get into and there may not be highly skilled people yeah so okay so worked in recruitment for um yeah as you said 18 months then went back into hospitality industry um then left the hospitality industry right um then it looks like you you worked for two different agencies over a five-year period mm-hmm. so what what gave you the confidence abby to to start your own recruitment business i think there, there's a lot of people that think well have that that thought process of well why can't i wouldn't it be great if i could make do all these billings for, for myself um, yeah. What 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 gave you the confidence to take the leap? Um, I th- well, I suppose I need to say initially it was a very difficult decision. I, I worked with um, uh, Rory from from B Recruitment, and you know we worked together for a lot of years, and it was kind of like a self employed. I was set up as a self employed person, so that's how his business works, and we work under kind of his his brand. Um, and so I worked with him for about four and a half half years. And it allowed me to have my children and and kind of have the flexibility that I needed. Um, and I suppose it just got to a point where, um, you know, I wanted to do something around. I wanted to be creative and create a brand. Um, in terms of what gave me the confidence, I've always been someone to to take risks. And I think, you know, I'm very much on the what's the worst that can happen. Um, if you know, what is the worst that can happen? And I, at the time, I had three children, and you know, so it, 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 it I suppose it was quite high risk because you go from, um, you know, a fairly, you know, regular kind of billing, and then you kind of start again. But you know, I built relationships up, and you know, of course, you you make use of those relationships. But I think it is what I've learned about anything from having my own business. It, you, you have to take risks, and you then, you know, you kind of, you know, it's like when you, you uh, I went to a client meeting a couple of weeks ago, and. They were asking me if I could do something, and I've never actually done it before. But obviously, my ultimate answer was, "Yeah, of course." And you know, you come out of the meeting, and you're like, "Okay, let's work out how to do that now." Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then you, that's what you do. You know, you kind of build it around it, and you just keep you keep going. And um, you know, I, I I I met two ladies when I first set up on my own um, uh, from a. Um, called Katie Green and and and, and Nikki who who helped who kind of set up they I went on one of their courses and um, I learned a lot about mindset and um, and they really really helped me I did um, I did a program with with those ladies and they were absolutely fantastic and that they they certainly helped me kind of mentally just know that as long as I had these things in place you know then that's how you move forward um, so and there's that- a lot of that. sorry say that again I was just gonna say that that was gonna be that was gonna be my question for you. I'd be like, where where did this mindset of willingness to be uncomfortable, say yes, then work it yeah. out, take risks, come from? Mm. Well, I, I I kind of think anything else is boring, you know. <laughs> if um, you know, I'm I'm only thinking right now, but I don't think I worry about too much. And you know, what what is the worst that can happen? And it's not as if I'm financially supported by anybody. You know, that's not my comfort blanket. I haven't got that. You know, this this is all me. And and if I cock it up, you know, I, the stakes are high. Um, but I, I I just have a belief that I won't. Um, and that is by maybe just saying it out loud and and planting in your subconscious that that's how you believe. Um. You know, I don't, I'd love to say I've read loads of books <laughs> and I kind of meditate, you know, and I am really bad at some of these things that I was, one of the things I was worried you were going to ask me about is, you know, kind of well-being stuff and all these good things that people do like yoga and meditation and, and I'm crap at that, you know, I really am like I'm, you know, I'm not good at kind of self, 
help or, or, or well-being and, and it's something that I need to get better at um but I have an unwavering belief that I won't fail I don't know where it's going <laughs> my mum that, that, that that's what I think that's what truly matters though isn't it it's, it's, yeah. it's having that grounding of yeah like whatever happens I'm I'm really confident I can make it work and um Karen, yeah, and I, I think tested, that's amazing. don't get me wrong the last few months the last few weeks in particular that has been tested um but I think if you know it sounds really cocky doesn't it but if I can't do it nobody can in you know in and uh, uh, you know why would I be any worse at it than anybody else you know mm. um and I've been very lucky like you know in kind of education wise and you know have my mum constantly pushing me um uh you know I, I, I know I'm lucky and I'm very grateful um uh, for all that um and, and that's definitely given me the confidence I think that what I take from that, which I absolutely love, is what you're also saying there is like Abby Dunn is completely responsible and accountable to herself to make this happen. I love my favourite principle is cause and effect. And, you know, I I meet all the time people where the world is happening to them and, you know, there's nothing that they can do about it. This is, you know, woe me. I have people in my own family like that. Um, But I've never felt like that. I, I believe that everything was in within completely within my control and only then you know can I influence it and and, and do something about it and um that's hard to teach other people though I think because you know even my, my husband is not great at it you know he's gets frustrated by things and you know kind of would be the first for to to, to blame someone else for it happening I'm like just take responsibility come on um hopefully he's not going to watch this back <laughs> I think um no no you're right it sounds really simple doesn't it but I think it's actually really empowering when 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 you truly believe that and and you're right you can't you can't push that and impose that on people that isn't a way for them to take responsibility sometimes and I've had to learn this when I've I've sort of come to my own realizations that well actually I'm in complete control here and I have full responsibility and then if my girlfriend might have some of those moments where she's pointing the finger at this or or something and then it's easy for us to jump straight away with like, well, well, look, what's the point in focusing on that? You can't control mm. that. They don't need that <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, I know. But for I me, know. it's more about leading by example. It's more yeah. about, do you get what I mean? If if Abby shows, like, I'm sure over the last six, eight months, he's been completely in awe of how you've taken responsibility and you could have sat there and gone coronavirus this, government this, and it's more about sort of leading the way and and then you have those moments where it's like well look this is what I've been talking about right take responsibility and that's where you have yeah. sometimes more of those breakthroughs rather than every time they go god say that person just cut me off on the traffic when I'm driving it's like well yeah. what's the point in focusing on that yeah, I know. <laughs> um, I know. yeah. so to to finalize that then like what what advice would you give Abby Dunn at the beginning of this journey of starting your recruitment business, knowing what you know now, what, what would you say to yourself? Um, what would I say to myself? I, <laughs> this sounds really bad, isn't it? But I don't, I don't look back and and have things that I should have done differently. Is that really bad? I, you no. know, I, 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 I'm quite a positive person, as you might have seen, and you know, I, I did it's probably easy for me to say what would I say to other people maybe because there's a couple of things that I did really well and that was I didn't look at what anybody else did I didn't you know I didn't um get concerned about competitors I didn't uh, they didn't even come into my sphere of thought uh, at all and they don't um and that's not arrogant that's just I, I feel better if I don't because I and I do start to maybe glimpse at what someone else is doing I'm like you know should I be you know and it, it's not good for you it's not good for you so certainly that, and then uh, you know what I, I set up with this really clear purpose, and that is something that I think if anybody is setting up, that would be what I I, w- I would advise you know people to come up with and to stick by and to kind of um, to be unfaulted, and that's um, it's helped me certainly through the last you know six months and and and, and the most difficult time of the last few weeks more than anything. Um, yeah, well, why does that help? Because I think. A lot of people talk about the importance of company values, purpose, but like, what, how would you articulate, like, why is that important and why has that helped you? Um, I think it helps me know constantly why I'm doing things and you it helps you make every decision. It, it's easy to make decisions in your business if your purpose is really clear. So our purpose 
is to change lives, to shape the industry and to disrupt, uh, disrupt recruitment. So there's three elements to it. One is basically kind of candidate driven, changing lives and finding people great jobs. Um, shaping the industry is the client part of it, you know, making um, recruitment uh, in our clients better by giving them the right people. Uh, and then disrupting recruitment is kind of doing things, you know, that might not necessarily have been done before. Um, and it just it just clarifies everything for us. And it, it, it's um, and it makes it not about money. And I think that's where a lot of recruitment businesses, um, that, you know, will, will or find it difficult or come across, in my opinion, um, wrong because their 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 purpose is is making money and that's never been my purpose. That will be an output of my success without a doubt, but it, it's never it's never at the forefront of what you know. It's never my first thought. It's it, it's a it's a nice output. Yeah, it, it's. For for me, what I've really experienced in my, in my short career so far is that when you actually generally, what you're talking about, when you actually generally have a mindset of giving more than you take, yeah, you end up taking more anyway. Yeah. Like, yeah. Th- because it comes to you, right? So it's what you're talking about. It's that, well, actually, when we actually have this really clear North Star, it helps us make decisions. It helps us understand why we do it. And actually, when we actually really just focus on that, the outcome of financial, supporting my family, hitting our targets – it's just a prerequisite. It happens. Yeah, right? definitely. Yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. So, let's just talk a bit about for the next five or so minutes around like the first year, right? Yeah. Because I'm sure that I, I mean, like a lot of people, going into 2020, right? This is our year. Going to grow on what yeah. we've done for the first year, and then mm. obviously we, we've all been having to deal with adversity. So, I guess how was that first year for you then? So, you had the belief, you had the, a clear yeah. purpose. Um, how would you describe your first year in, in being a recruitment business owner? Yeah, I mean, I, I loved it. You know, uh, we I possibly grew too fast. I probably added headcount on slightly too fast. So that, there's one thing that I regret. There you go. That's I, I probably grew grew a bit fast. I got I got overexcited about maybe having this bigger business or having a perception of this bigger business than I had, and, and added headcount a bit too soon. Um, but you know from we set up in January 19 um and uh, you know our, our sales built month on month right up until February um this year um and so yeah it was all it was all great we were doing kind of team events away in the Lake District we were doing you know we were we were being approached by clients our we were getting loads of comments about our uh, marketing and um you know it, it it was great the team were and they are now but you know super super engaged and you know that that was really important to me and you know and I think that w- one of the you know some of the, the team came directly from hospitality and, and kind of so they were very junior from a recruitment sense i.e they'd not done it before um and but that meant that you know we had this team team of quite junior recruiters but actually who who was so passionate about what we were doing and and had the right um you know the right frame of mind and and you know teaching people recruitment from scratch is actually amazing it's it's, it's hard work but it's it, you know it's amazing so yeah we had a great a great time you know we had a great first birthday party and all, all was going swimmingly <laughs> what, I, I what, what, what did you do revenue wise in your first year um well so it's for our first year we did um four 400k um okay. which so i i suppose as an individual recruiter i'd previously worked and and not not being far off that i think my last year as an individual recruiter before that i dropped quite significantly i was working from home i'd lost my kind of mojo um I don't even know how 400k compares to other people. Um, I, I don't know whether that's good or bad. <laughs> it, no, it, it's just give context for people. But I guess like some of the things that I gathered when I was preparing for this was um, you really advocated that a lot of your, and um, let me know if this is true, but a lot of your business has, has come through referrals or recommendations, right? Yeah. So, so you're talking about people coming to your marketing, you, you've got some right people involved that have the right passion, et cetera. Yeah. But so, so sort of hearing about getting referrals, recommendations is really common, right, for yeah. recruitment businesses. Say, look, we, we grow by word of mouth. But like yeah. in that first year, um, in, yeah, up until your first 
birthday like what would you say was the most effective way of driving business through referrals um i said well i think i had had relationships with people of some existing relationships but also um relationships that i'd taken from you know working for a company like revolution you you'd had so many people that had come through there and then gone on to set up other businesses so I was lucky in that sense as well um but I think we set up incentives you know we set up incentives around referrals we we took we made a point of taking testimonials at any point that we could and promoting them um you know so if you go onto our our website or, or any of the information that we send out to people it has you know I'm a big believer in kind of transparency and maybe to my detriment, I don't know, but you know, it has who, who our clients are and who, who, which specific person within that business has said this about this. Um, and we shouted out, we shouted out about that. Um, but I th- yeah, obviously referrals was a part of it, but I also think that, you know, people just came to, came to us because we promoted a brand that people wanted to be a part of and people, actually um we got quite a lot of phone calls wanting table bookings which for me was fine because people thought we were a restaurant <laughs> and I was like I'm cool with that if our branding look makes us look like a restaurant that's fine um uh, so uh, you know and I think we people wanted to be a part of it and wanted to to kind of hear more about what we were doing um so yeah and it obviously it's it feels a bit like a long time ago because we haven't operated like that now since February and that's probably the sad thing about it yeah so just let's talk about what's been going on from February but just before we do yeah I I, you may have may not seen this I mean I saw one of the things that you met up with sort of um competition and network of other hospitality recruiters I'm assuming you've got a bit of an insight but um like how much, like what What did the strategy look like for building your brand as a recruitment business? Because I think this has become more and more important. It's something that recruiters don't know how to do themselves. Yeah. Recruiters are actually way more encouraged to be part of a recruitment business that values marketing and, and branding because they know how much it can help. Yeah. Like what were the sort of maybe two, three core things that you got right with your branding that really helped that maybe people like could benefit from listening? <laughs> I don't know if I had a strategy when I set out, but the yeah. things that I, I, um, I got right, I think it was as soon as anybody starts selling to me, I switch off to it. Okay, so that kind of uh, traditional language, even if, and maybe it's within hospitality, people don't want it, or whether it's any sector, I don't know, but I couldn't bring myself to be calling people and saying, "So, how you know, how's how's business?" You know, I just. It doesn't feel natural to me, and I know there'll be people listening to this going, "Well, that's what that's what sales is." And I, so, I'm I'm anti sales to a certain you know traditional selling techniques. You know, the word selling technique in itself, that you know, it makes me quiver. Um, so I wanted to push. I I pushed why we were doing it. So I know it's you know famously Simon Sinek's back yeah. isn't it but, you know I, I pushed why we were doing it that's basically all I did I pushed why we were doing it and to some extent um how we were doing I never ever pushed what we were doing I never mentioned our database I never mentioned our process it's boring you know it's really boring so I I, I pushed to you know our ways of working we've got these eight ways of working and and, and I pushed out our purpose um and I, I invested in like you know, I, I found these um, a company called Lit Marketing, um, who were starting out themselves, and so a lot of the branding and the design work, um, you know, probably looks like we invested a lot more money than we did in it. You know, the, we were paying, you know, we were we were kind of getting some nice stuff designed, and it might have been fifty quid or a hundred quid. You know, it wasn't huge investments, but it looks great. And even me sitting on Canva doing something, it looks shit. So, you know, <laughs> put some investment into that. We really really looks good and actually people have come to us and gone oh god who does you design I'm like oh it's like this lit marketing they're brilliant aren't they um you know but and, and I can't thank them enough but they were you know they weren't a big marketing agency they were they were led by my 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 own creativity but I couldn't do the design part and but I knew what looked right and what didn't so I think investing in that side of it um 
uh, really helped. I forgot what your yeah. question was. Did I no, 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 I really like that. So, no, I really like that. It's back to purpose, why, and, and lead with that from a brand perspective, not, not yeah, and obviously it's also helped from you as a business owner perspective. Um, and then I, I actually really like that insight that actually there are a lot of small growing businesses out there Try and try and speak to to those and build relationships. There, they're actually yeah, it can work for both parties, right? So, yeah. so I actually really like that. If you're a business owner, sometimes it's easy to be like, "Oh, I need all this like all um all bells, all whist- whistles, marketing strategy and stuff." Well, actually, there's probably a lot of people out there that are on a similar journey to you that could probably help you on the marketing side. That would mean yeah. that you don't have to invest as much straight away. So I really like that. Um, and I think we we invest. I put a lot of time personally into our social media. So our social media account until fairly recent was run by myself. And, and I think that really helped, um, you know, so the tone of voice was my, was me. And I think as soon as you pass it on to somebody else that can get diluted. And, you know, so I'm a, I'm a big believer that if you're a founder starting a recruitment business, that, that should be controlled by you. It should be your thoughts and feelings and that, um, and and that helps set, set the entire tone of voice of your business, and and that then, you know, we all speak the same language in the business. I I think if I asked now anybody within the team to take over the social media, they would write it, you know, in in a way that reflects our tone of voice as a business. Um, yeah. And and but I know it's sometimes difficult as a recruiter to think right. What have I got to say? about recruitment because it's quite a dry subject matter you know what 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 can I post on a grid every day about recruitment I think that will be challenging that's why it's easy easier for us because we, we've made it sector focused as opposed to recruitment focused we do talk about recruitment sometimes of course we do but it's sector focused um and putting that kind of uh, you know it, uh, my entire thinking about it all was that this isn't again wasn't about drive, driving revenue and wasn't about um opportunity it was about how can we help our sector how can we make uh, you know that recruitment better within our sector and, and and that shows through our social media and that's helped us build the brand i love that thanks so abby talk, share with us what you was feeling and what was going through your mind when february started to happen and because at, at the beginning of this like for me personally I had um so I had a live podcast event lined up in March um yeah. over 200 people paid to go there and I remember having those conversations where it was I sent an email around like who who is who is um who's not going to come because of this covid thing mm-hmm. right and then that drastically changed within a week right so in terms of the messaging from everyone blah 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 so like just start by going there like what was you like how did you feel and what was going through your mind when you started thinking oh my god this isn't a two-week thing which a lot of us thought it might have yeah. been well, like, yeah I definitely didn't yeah. see it coming and I definitely I think I took a, a, a um a, it hit me when I, I took one client phone call um and the the recruitment manager said look I'm sorry we're not going to pay this invoice um until like this all settles down and I was like what but why you know how, what are you talking about and obviously <laughs> and, and then I suppose it just seemed to happen so quickly then that it was phone call after phone call after phone call you know of clients changing plans ch- you know so within I'd say 48 hours and well what we'd done it was the the northern bar show as well and we'd um it was they were on the edge as to whether this was going ahead or not going ahead. So we'd actually um, put in furniture into the show. We'd, we'd got all our stalls set out um, and then literally it was pulled very last minute the day before. So then I was like, oh, that's, you know, these big guys are, are pulling stuff. And we, so we, and it wasn't just the fact that future work was cancelled within this 48 hour period. It was that candidates that had already started were let, being let go. Um, you know, candidates that were currently in process all f- fell away, and then anything for the future fell away. So, and this was pre-furlough scheme. So, you know, I kind of we kind of sat there and, um, you know, very sadly, uh, uh, and I, I've got I've got super emotional about COVID once, and this was on um, in, in 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 March when it was just so shocking. You know, we were all just so like, what the hell? Because the business had gone from this you know we, we'd had one of our best months in February our best month and then got dropped to nothing um 
in March was just so bizarre. And we all sat around the table, um, kind of all crying. And, and weirdly enough, our contract for our office, we were moving offices and it was to end on the 31st of March. So not only were we kind of sat basically dissolving the business, um, we were packing up the office physically as well. So it was like the most depressing day yeah. ever. And there wasn't a furlough scheme. So, you know, so I, as everything cascaded, suddenly I was like, right, okay, we've, we've got no jobs, no candidates, no no one paying invoices. This is this is laying off people immediately. You know, there's, you know, what what it wasn't a big enough business to say, okay, we can pay salaries for three months. Um, oh, and that, there's another regret. I should have saved my money. As, um, when you said, what would I reflect back on over? I should have saved my money and and you know built up a bigger buffer. Um, but yeah, so so March kind of changed everything and. Um, yeah, I suppose the, the rest is history on that. And I think within hospitality, it's, you know, you, you, obviously you've got to have a certain amount of fight. And our fight was directed into helping the sector because we couldn't really help ourselves. You know, whatever anybody is listening to this and they may think, if, the, if everybody's letting people go, everybody, the good, the bad, you know, everyone, um, the opportunity for recruiters is, isn't exist you know it doesn't exist really it's not as if you know you you sell harder and, and you find those opportunities there, there wasn't any opportunity that it, it, it was completely hibernated um until july when browser restaurants reopened and lo and behold you know we had um our september revenue was back to our february revenue um so we had this real lovely sense of oh this is this is going well um and then um, obviously, it's it, it's dropped off a cliff again, sadly. But like I said, to to the the emotion that I felt about it in March, I've become numb to it now because you know I, I don't. And I, I know we spoke about cause and effect and being able to um, make sure you have influence. But this is this is a bugger. You know, I can't. This is again. Suddenly, everything's going. How do you have a you know no revenue? Then your best month ever. Then no revenue. Like you know, it's yeah. and then. Um, so, so, so what I'm taking, so what I'm taking from that then is, yeah, obviously, like we all went through, really emotional. What, like, how can this happen? What the hell's going on? Processing it, basically. Like, is this real life? We've got Boris Johnson on the telly. I feel like I'm in a video game. Like, what, what is, what is going on, right? And then, so then, so the way you took responsibility was right recruitment let, let's put that aside for a second because as you said the good bad the ugly they're letting people go there's no opportunities there what let's channel all our energy into into helping our industry um yeah. why didn't you quit why didn't you go right i'm just like because a lot of people would have gone yeah I'll, I'll wait until this blows over or i'll like like yeah. you said firstly it seems like maybe you didn't have the financials for you to go right i'm just going to put my feet up and spend time with the kids for the next yeah. three four months yeah. but like why didn't you quit abby um I think I had, I felt as I had a bit of a duty to people to, you know, to show strengths and to show positivity and to show innovation. And I don't, again, that sounds a bit knobbish, but I meant to our candidates really, because they were, um, you know, going, losing jobs left, right and centre. And, you know, we wanted to show, okay, right, let's, let's help and let's um, and kind of show what we're made of really. And so, you know, we adapted the business um, to, you know, to supporting the industry. Um, and, you know, that's, I, I, it's helped, it's helped keep me sane, certainly, because um, I felt I've had some purpose during that time. Um, you know, because we haven't taken any, re- we started, people, we started building revenue again from July when people started paying all the invoices, but that whole time in between, no revenue. Um, uh so from recruitment, you know, we, we pivoted and, and looked at things, you know, I delivered lots of training to people. Um, uh, so we did, uh, you know, kind of ran mentoring schemes. We, there was other little bits of, of revenue that we took, but nothing that could, you know, compare to what we'd been billing previously. Um, but, yeah, certainly I, I felt as though not only we had to have a duty, but we also had the ability to, bring people together because we had relationships with a lot of people across the city you know specifically Manchester and you know we had relationships with lots of clients and so 
you know we, we could have that influence um you know one of the we did lots of different things obviously one of the the greatest things that i'm really proud of is the no more no shows campaign um you know which so was, just talk yeah. about that for a sec because i, I yeah. wrote and a question around that so i just want to highlight generally like i i think it's amazing again you really showcase your your mental resilience there where and i think this will do yeah i think it'll make or break people this period right where you've gone straight to what can we do to serve okay well what other things can we offer our clients and our network that is centered around them if that's mentoring if it's training if it's putting people together right but yeah so i i definitely wanted to ask you about that so like it looks like you've you've been you've you've given hospitality a voice or you try to give hospitality a voice right which i think is amazing outside looking in but one of the greatest things that you're proud of as you just said is the no more no show so just give talk us a bit about that how that came about and what impact it had um, so I'd seen a tweet from a friend of mine, Antonia, who works for Gusto Restaurants, and she tweeted about um, when people had gone back uh, to restaurants. I think they had 6K of um, no-show book, uh, no people no-showing that weekend. Uh, and I thought, that is, you know, that's horrendous. After the journey that people have been on, I delivered all these tra- these this manager training, and just you just knew what these guys were going through. They were nervous. They were... You know, there was so much going on for them, but they were excited as well and to set up for service and and, and have everything ready to go. And then to have people no show, you know, when you're at reduced capacity anyway, was just horrendous. And I felt really passionate about, you know, about saying to customers, you know, what the hell are you doing? You know, this is not cool. We knew that we couldn't have a client or a um a, a client facing campaign because we couldn't influence that the technology that they use or the process that they use but we could influence customers um so i remember i think you know we were allowed out stuff at that time i remember sat in the the boozer little boozer at the back of albert schloss and coming up with the artwork with some friends and um you know antonio and i met and knew that knew that the message had to be really simple um we had a conversation that said look if 100 people share this tile which was three steps um you know rebook and, and and you know we still love you um uh, but but make sure you let us know um and we thought if 100 people share this then we've done our our job um so we did it in a thunderclap style so we we asked um kind of operators and hospitality people in the sector to share this tile at one specific time it was 10 o'clock um one, one morning um and at the same time, I think luckily for us, you know, celebrity chefs were talking about no show. So Tom Courage was talking about it. Um, and, you know, Simon Wolf was talking about it. So it was kind of like a perfect storm. But the beauty of being a recruiter in it, which you don't see very often maybe, but um, was that it wasn't another company. You know, we didn't put our branding on it, um, which I think was uh, the reason it was so successful. But we also didn't, we weren't another company. You know, if an operator had come up with this um, idea, for example, Antonio from Gusto, if it was Gusto's idea, that would have been very difficult for other operators to get behind it. So the fact that it was a third party, um, uh, you know, was great. And, and I'm really proud of the fact that we didn't put our branding on it because actually then we might not have got some of the press that, you know, but I don't think it would have been as successful, you know, and it we ended up, people shared the tile, um, and it couldn't have gone better in terms of the results of it. I think we had 12 and a half million Twitter impressions. You know, wow. we had a billboard, you know, um, the Manc put billboards up for his, uh, sorry, put a massive piece up for his in Manchester and one of the high, um, one of the, um, I can't remember the building name, but um, we got 450 billboards across Manchester and London. We had a double page spread in the Observer. We were on BBC, we were on Channel 5, we were on Channel 4. So it was it couldn't have gone better as far as a campaign and actually my friends who work in marketing were like how much did you spend on this campaign and um i think it's 450 quid on you know (laughs) and they were like oh my god you know this is this is unbelievable and you know we we had an influence and i'm so proud of it um you know we and i think you know we whether it was temporarily or not from a recruitment perspective made that move from recruiter into you know a voice that should should be heard in, in the sector and you know that's what I always want to do and um I don't think it's easy for recruiters to do that um 
but that's you know we, we did that with that campaign which was you know great and I'm really proud of it yeah I remember seeing that I, I think that's um amazing and I think that's obviously um one of the most amazing things about the world we live in today social media gets a lot of bad press um but also at the same time when it's for good it, it, it can it can generally have a real impact really quickly yeah. and it can reach millions of of people um so look what I'd love um for you to share then so like what what have been like your personal like biggest challenges then Abby so we've spoken about how you've pivoted you've sort of channeled your energy but like for you personally what what's been your biggest challenge I can imagine that you've got to be Abby done the the hospitality crusader you've got to show up for your team and then you've got to be on point mum as well for three kids and your family that must be difficult like how what been the biggest challenges for you um yeah I think when you've got it when everything is going on in terms of the kids and homeschooling and you've got it all kind of coming together it's difficult to be to know whether to be kind of average at everything or be great at homeschooling and not great at work or be great at work and not great you know so that that was difficult you know finding that balance certainly but um I think the you know the the last few weeks have probably been the, the toughest where where it's where the revenues dropped off again and you kind of feel as though god have I have I got any fight left have I you know I've fought and I don't think you can argue with the fact that I, I, I fought from every angle and to then, you know, to then be affected by the curfew, to then be affected by tier three where we're in now um, is very, is difficult. It's difficult to, you know, I've had to let some of my team go and that's been, you know, horrendous because I made them a promise and I've not, I've not been able to keep it. And that's the the saddest thing about it. You know, I, I kind of went into March thinking about whatever happens, especially when we had the furlough scheme, um, you know, we'll, we, we'll get through this. I sent them cards during lockdown saying we'll get through this. I sent them bonsai trees, you know, and, you know, that's not, I've not been able to do that. So that's very, very hard. Um, and it is, you know, as much as all this sounds quite positive, I, I'm not 100% sure whether, you know, this business will survive this, you know the next few months it's very unfortunately I am you know at the mercy of government regulations and I'm not trying to blame somebody else for that but I you know if hospitality doesn't open or doesn't take revenue then I don't have a business either um and but I'm also very kind of pragmatic about that and and fact that okay well you know we might have to consider making some very tough decisions early next year but you know we'll come back as whatever we might come back as or you know that's worst worst case scenario but you know definitely just you you have to just keep moving forward um Mm. but yeah it's not it's not all rosy and all these wonderful things that's been happening and and it's been great but you know I have to be honest and say you know of of course I'm of course I'm worried about whether this business as as it exists as 68 people will you know will get through the next few months I'd, I'd be naive not to be worried but I still have the ultimate belief that I will be successful in something, you know, whatever that might be in, in the future. Yeah, I love that. And I have no doubt either. I guess to sort of put that together, what what do you think is going to, what sort of thing have you learned either about yourself or your business that you think will uh, stick with you in, in 2021 and beyond? Um, I've, I've learned I really like writing. I've started as a way to um, kind of, um, get everything down and maybe get it out of my head I, I've, I've started writing kind of different articles and um, blog things and, I, and I've loved that so that that's you know I didn't I didn't think I was good at writing I didn't you know or wouldn't have thought that I was the writer but I, I really really enjoyed doing that and, and I've had some really good feedback on it so that's something I've learned um, in, in this whole time is yeah you, you can find new things that you you know you, you didn't know you were good at. I love that. So one of the things that I saw you write was, yeah. and I think this ties in quite nicely around you being quite honest with us and going, look, I've I've given this a real good fight, but look, we, I can't be naive and we're going to face challenges and we're going to do our utmost to survive. But one of the things um, that we spoke about and this article was around what you might end up doing is helping hospitality professionals, maybe not go into hospitality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. like, cause it, 
yeah because because these professionals it, again it's i'm sure you, you of course you can relate right it's like well i i'm a, a bit of a crossroads here i've done everything that i can to hold on to my career in hospitality but i need to put myself first and maybe i do need to upskill myself or try this so i guess the article that i saw i think it was shared i, I can't remember the exact outlet but it was about why hospitality professionals would could be and why they could be amazing hires right yeah. and not and i've heard before obviously like you said when you've hired people for your own business makes even makes even more sense that they have the context of working in hospitality but i've heard numerous times from recruitment business owners that getting people from maybe hospitality backgrounds is good they've got that resilience they, they've worked long hours those types of things but like why could hospitality professionals be amazing eyes either for recruitment businesses or just in general, would you say? Um, well, I think if anybody's considering it, there's a, there's a podcast by um, uh, one of the Tony Robbins podcasts that features Danny Mayer, um, who, you know, who owns a wonderful restaurant business in New York. And, and he asks the audience, um, it's an interview, maybe not a podcast, but he asks the audience um, how many people work in hospitality. And obviously only a few put their hand up. But he challenged them and was like, no, you're wrong. You know, everybody works in hospitality you know, because actually hospitality is 49% of what everyone does. Um, you know, making people feel good um, is, is, is part of an accountant's job. It's part of a lawyer's job. It's part of everyone's job. So with that in mind, you know, the, these guys are going to get to that halfway mark before before you teach them whatever technical skills they might need. Um you know that, that that service part of something, and 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 again, going back to this empathy of putting yourself in someone else's shoes, is what hospitality people will will absolutely nail. Um, and you know, I think I mentioned in there, people are very positive in the sector. There's no, you know, we don't have overtime, we don't have long term sick, we don't, um, you know, we we talk in a different way. You know, we, we there's no, I don't think you'd get kind of complaints about things. You know, very, you know, obviously there's good good and bad in every sector but you know if you met a, meet a great hospitality people person the energy the positivity the, you know that that graft is um you know is amazing but certainly that that service part let's face it exists in every sector and and, and you know we, sh- we should use hospitality people as, as much as we can i love that and look i don't want to impose um Abby Dunn turned the business into hospitality rec to rep business. But <laughs> if if anyone is listening and like they want to connect with you and talk, like no doubt you will know some amazing people that no doubt are having to really think about and reflect on their career, right? Yeah. So if you are listening right now and go, you know what, we, we do have growth plans and we have taken on people from hospitality in the background, 100% get in touch with them, whatever comes of that, comes of that, right? Yeah. That That's what yeah. I definitely encourage. I wanted to make sure we spoke about that. Um, Look, I just, I've got five final questions for you. Okay. But I just want to say, honestly, uh, I, I think it's amazing how you've approached this and you really showcased your mindset, resilience. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, from outside looking in, I think it's amazing some of the things that you've done to really give your industry a voice, which I think is one of the amazing things that recruitment, the recruitment industry can do for their sectors, right? They, they know mm-hmm. so many people, they're so well connected and recruiters have every right to be that voice and that forum that champions their industry. Yeah, um, so true, yeah. So I have five questions for you. Okay. <laughs> so the, the first question is, if you could change the industry, the recruitment industry, what would you improve? Um, selling, selling techniques, awful selling techniques. <laughs> nice. The second question, um, if, you, if you don't read that, that's fine, we can work it out, but what book have you read that has had the biggest impact on you? No, oh, I do read. I, I I did a lot of reading it in my earlier career, but um, I would say probably Seven Habits. I, I love Seven Habits as a go-to book. Can't, you know, I struggle to find one that's better than that. Yeah, no, that is a really good book. Um, this ties into your writing passion, but if you could write a LinkedIn post that could be seen yeah. by every single recruitment consultant across the world, yeah. what would you want it to say? Um, <laughs> what would I, every recruitment consultant in the world um, oh I am um, to stop and I can't do it yet and I, I, I'm, I'm working on it but to let's stop the industry completely doing any form of contingent recruitment um, if I could eradicate that 
and so that nobody is doing any work for nothing and um it'd be sort of a post around that i like it <laughs> what did you spend your first biggest commission paycheck on oh <sighs> in my own uh, when i was in the an agency Crikey, well, well never agency your own business what what comes to mind when you think yeah i, I treated myself after yeah I, 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 I would sp- i spend my money on kind of experiences so holidays and hospitality so yeah definitely i um when when my husband and i go away we sometimes go away with our in-laws and um, then they can babysit the kids while we bugger off to somewhere even nicer than we booked for two days so it'd be something like that with uh, you know some kind of luxury two-day break would always be what I'd spend any commission on. <laughs> like it. And then final question is what what's the ultimate goal for your recruitment career? Um to change the perception of, of that recruiters have in in my sector. Um I don't know it's in every sector but you know six six to what I know. Um yeah I'd love I'd love to come out of this as like we said, as as, as a, a voice for, for the sector and 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 someone to be you know heard heard rather than you know you just a recruiter and um, that's what I'd love to kind of leave you know when I retire that's what I'd love to have done. Amazing, Abby. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having Thank me. You. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Well done on making it to the very end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? And If you have enjoyed the podcast, then it would be amazing if you could leave a honest review in your favorite podcast streaming platform. That will simply mean that we're able to reach more people with this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to subscribe completely free on your favorite podcast streaming platforms. And we'll be back next week with a new episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast.